Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Our last episode was a 30,000 foot, probably even higher view of overview of the mass and how we saw um, the Trinitarian movement and it's the fulfillment of the uh, the Passover meal and the bread of life and Jesus at the center of it, which is fulfilled and seen in Revelation, which... Uh, the Old Testament Israelites, they worshiped imitating heaven, but actually in Jesus, we are brought up into heaven with John in the book of Revelation and every single thing that you see in that liturgical expression in the book of Revelation, you see at mass. So I would highly recommend to go back and listen to everything that's in Revelation that you see in mass because that is the heavenly worship that we directly participate in, that one eternal sacrifice in Jesus offered to the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit that we get to participate with the Son of God, offering ourselves in union with him to the Father. So uh, we talked about the Last Supper liturgy that, that Jesus had at the Last Supper uh, that on that Holy Thursday, we see in Luke. We saw in Luke 24 after his resurrection that he basically he celebrated Mass with his two disciples on the road to Emmaus, where he read the Law and the Prophets to them, and then their hearts were burning within them, but their eyes were not opened until uh, they he broke bread. But he vanished, but he didn't leave. Right, he's going to be with them always, and what it was that expressed in the Eucharist. And so what's cool about that too, that we're going to see in the mass is that they didn't see Jesus until the breaking of the bread. So therefore they saw this other person leading mass. So Jesus, uh, in every single mass, we are led by Jesus. He is the high, the, he's the eternal high priest and he's the, the offering. He's the offerer and the offering. He's the lamb of God and the high priest, right? So in every single mass that we participate in, the priest in the power of his sacrament of holy orders participates in that priesthood of Jesus. So Jesus working through the priest becomes that high priest that uh, he is in persona Christi, right? He's in the person of Jesus and um, the and the breaking of the bread, right? So Jesus right there working through his priest as Jesus as the high priest and the breaking of the bread, the lamb of God uh, fulfilling that. And we heard about how the early church, beginning right from in the very early second century, that there was a description of what was already happening at these Christian worships, these Christian worship mass, which was a mass exactly on Sundays that was written down from a Jewish uh, uh, historian, and then also from a bishop in the one, in the year one hundred and fifty, Saint Justin Martyr. Uh, describing the mass and these were not uh, prescriptive things like they should start doing them they were descriptive of what is already happening in the church right and then we also see in acts 242 that the church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles to the prayers the fellowship and the breaking of the bread right so and we see saint paul referring to people gathering on sundays um, and then uh, John and Revelation is swept up on Sunday, the first day or the eighth day, like new creation and swept up in the spirit and sees the heavenly worship that we participate in. So we heard all of that. So the mass is the fulfillment of the Passover meal and the exodus with the manna from heaven. Jesus is the new Moses instituting a new exodus and therefore a new Passover. And that's what the new Passover meal is, uh, us at mass and the manna, the daily manna, the, the miraculous, super substantial bread from heaven. And we are participating in that, right? So 
Uh, we are now going to go through the super small details of the mass. And this is not to be uh, like, this is not where you're going to learn to know what to say during mass or to memorize what you're supposed to do at mass. This is just to show how biblically saturated the mass is and how the mass is is saturated by the Bible. So um, we create because purely because in the mass, we are living out salvation history. We are literally participating in salvation history. We become a part of that story. And so we're going to go through the details of the Mass, and specifically we're going to go through the Latin Rite. So a lot of people in America specifically, we hear about the Roman Catholic Church or the Latin Church. Well, that's actually one of 24 rites in the church. I think the last episode said 22. It's actually 24 rites in the entire Catholic Church. And there's 24 of them, and the Latin and Roman Rite is considered like the Western Church, right? But there's 23 other rites in the entire church, um, and they all branch all the way back to three established early Christian communities in Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria, which straight from the beginning, all of them were appealing to the Pope uh, in in Rome, where St. Peter uh, went and died, Um, and every single Pope since then has has been in Rome. Um, but the three particular, like where traditions were formed, where expressions of the faith differed were in Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria, but they all had the exact same faith. They all believed the exact same thing. They are one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one, one mind, one heart, but they had different expressions. And the same thing with the mass that we're about to go through one of 24 rites. So what I'm about to tell you or what we're about to go through is typically what you'd find here in America or like in Western Europe. Uh, the Latin Rite Church, the Latin Rite Mass, but it's one of 24 expressions. But every single Mass is the exact same substance, and what's happening is is the exact same thing, but it's just different liturgical expressions. So like in Africa, they have a lot of dancing. They Their Mass is like three hours long. Um, in different parts of the world, it's even more uh, like in the Eastern Europe or Eastern parts of the church. They also have their own form of expressing the liturgy in the Mass, right? So let's start. Um, so the first thing that happens is a procession, right? So the priest is in persona Christi, and they walk in and they're holding high the go- they're holding high the gospels and the the crucifix, right? So that is processing in Jesus, his triumph is walking in. We're about to celebrate in Mass, um, and right from the beginning. You make the sign of the cross, right? And that is the tau, uh, the sign of the cross that, that marked Christians uh, that we see in Revelation and right from the beginning of the early church. That's actually how a lot of times they would know that they were Christian is by making the sign of the cross, like if they couldn't speak the same language or um, it was the sign of the cross. is marking yourself with the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but also marking yourself with the cross. Like, I am a Christian. I died with Jesus and I rise with Jesus. And that is the form of expression, right? So that is how you begin worship, sign of the cross, expressing your faith in Jesus and the triune God revealed in Jesus. And then the priest says, the Lord be with you. Or most of the time, like on Sundays, uh, it's directly out of the very end of the second of Second Corinthians, uh, where St. Paul, he a lot of times uh, says this in introduction to his, le- in his letters to the churches or in his um, and is like in the ending of the letter. But as 2 Corinthians is like the most direct way of the, you'll hear a priest say this. 
Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And we all reply, and with your spirit. And because we're saying to the priest, you need exactly what you just said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your spirit in order for you to do and to realize what is happening through you, what Jesus is going to do through his ordained minister. And then we do the penitential rite. So we come as sinners. The penitential rite is penance, right? So we come. And so the priest says, let us prepare ourselves to celebrate. Let's prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. And so prepare ourselves coming as sinners. We tell Jesus, we tell God, all like all the, all the things that are on our heart that where we fell uh, short, right? And we, um, we, uh, we have sinned, right? But mortal sins are taken care of only in confessional. That's what Jesus gave it to us for. But a lot of people don't know this is when um, this penitential rite happens and we come as sinners and we say, Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Or Kyrie eleison, which is Greek or Christe eleison, Greek, uh, which by the way, a lot of times, uh, churches or masses will keep that original Greek because it's like one of the earliest prayers in Greek from the early church. Um, And then the priest says, may almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. That's actually a mini absolution of venial sins. So you are like, you're wiped clean right there by Jesus through the priest. And then on Sundays or uh, on Sundays, you sing the Gloria, which is uh, in Revelation and Isaiah giving glory to God. And then the priest says, let us pray, which every single time he says, let us pray, we're entering into a new mode of the mass. So let us pray. And then he says a certain prayer. Um, And then right after that, we all sit down. And then it's the liturgy of the word, right? So the liturgy of the word begins. And this is exactly what Jesus did on the road to, with his two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He read from the law and the prophets. So what do we do on Sundays? We read from the law and the prophets. Um, and we sit down and God speaks to us through the Old Testament, right? Which this is actually one of the very first things I thought was so beautiful about the Catholic Church. I had no idea. Same readings across the entire world. When I go, even when I was in Europe uh, last year, it was a completely different language, but we had the same exact readings. Like I could just follow along and it was the exact same mass. It was just, it was awesome. It's so beautiful. And so across the entire world, we're all reading the same prayers. We're all, the priest is reading the same prayers for uh, the liturgy. And also we're reading the, same, um, the, reading the same readings. And why is this? Because the church is speaking to its people, right? God is speaking to the church. And so this is the prayer of the entire church to its one God. So God speaks to us through the Old Testament. So we, we listen and sit. And then right after that, we sing a psalm back to God. So this is actually uh, us re- responding back to God from the Psalms. And then God speaks to us again. Typically, in this third reading, God speaks to us again. Typically, it's from the New Testament letters or epistles. And then the last one is a gospel reading. So then we all stand victoriously with Jesus because, and we stand now because we stand victoriously with him, but also because Jesus is the fulfillment of all everything that we just read. He is the reason that we came to worship. So we stand with him. And now Jesus speaks directly to us through this gospel reading. And so when the priest says a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew right now, we say glory to you, O Lord, and we make the sign of the cross over our mind, on our lips, and in our heart. We want Jesus to be on our mind 
on our lips that we express Jesus and in our heart, most importantly, to to have Jesus living in our hearts. And that is the Tau, the sign of the cross. That's referred to in Revelation, the sign that was marked on the Christian's foreheads. Then it's read, and then it's... And after it's, after it's read, the priest will say the gospel of the Lord. And we all say, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And then we sit down for the homily, the priest or the deacon will... He, their entire job is to, if this isn't a pure form of catechesis. So like, yes, we're supposed to learn st- like stuff, like, but we're supposed to be getting fed outside, like, and you're supposed to be doing Bible studies and small groups and stuff like that. But the homily is to bring the scriptures that we just read alive and for us to be able to apply in our daily lives, right? So it's not for the priest just purely to give a catechesis, which you're supposed to be learning stuff all the time, right? And in the homily, you hope to be learning, uh, can be continuing to learn about scripture and the word of God, but it's also applying what we just heard, uh, right? Faith comes by hearing, and now uh, the Lord, the, the priest uh, will be um, giving his homily on how to apply what we just heard. And that really ends the liturgy of the word. The thing that separates the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist is the Nicene Creed, which right after the homily, we all stand on Sundays and say together, right? So it's, I believe, and this is the Nicene Creed. It's the creed of uh, that was handed on at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. And this is when uh, the, the the doctrine of the Trinity was getting attacked and the doctrine of Jesus being fully God and fully man being attacked, right? So the Council of Nicaea actually is a victory for the church, right? The church had to figure out all of these things. And so how does that happen? Through an ecumenical council like the Council of Nicaea, where all the bishops in union with the Pope are all there and they're led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that uh, I'll lead you into all truth. He's speaking to his church led by Peter and the apostles that have the keys of the kingdom and the authority to bind and to loose, which means to to teach, to bind uh, the faithful to uh, Christian teaching on faith and morals. And so the Nicene Creed is, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, and who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So, that whole thing, and as you can see, and we could have a whole other episode on that, but a lot of people don't know like why God from God, light from light, true God from true God. It's because we're saying that Jesus is divine. He is a creator. He is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. There are all three persons in one God from all of eternity. They are all 
three persons, one God, one divine essence in nature, um, and that is the Godhead that created everything, but took on human flesh to atone for our sins. And so that is the liturgy of the word. And then the next part that we're going to be talking about is the liturgy of the Eucharist. 